OHL hockey is back. This is the Farwell and Boat Podcast. Originating from the 570 News Studio in Kitchener. Here are your hosts, Mike Farwell and Chris Pope. I gotta say, I I greatly admire your respect for my years doing this job and finding comfort zones in various places that we visit because as we sat down to record this week's episode of the Farwell and Pope podcast, I'm Farwell. And I'm Pope. At Farwell underscore OHL on Twitter. And at underscore Chris Pope. Sponsorship opportunities remain available. Tweet us. Use the hashtag AskFNP. We'll answer your questions and banter back and forth about all things junior hockey. But here we are, as we like to take you on the road with this podcast, get you to the places that you may not be able to get to yourself as a fan. And we're in the hotel in Erie, PA, awaiting Rangers otters on a Wednesday night. And I've got... I'm a guy that's set in my ways. I've got some peculiarities that you know all too well by this point, Popper. And one of the things that I like is when we're in a hotel, there's always a chair. And I don't want the bed. I want the chair. And maybe if there's a footstool with it or I want to put my feet up on the bed, I want to flake out. Sometimes take a little nap in the chair. And we're getting set to record this podcast. And you're like, I'm going to wheel the desk chair over. You go sit in your little chair, Farzy. That's what... I respect that, man. Thank you so much. Yeah, well, I'm a younger body, so I can sit in the <laughs> desk chair. You take the nice, comfy, big, uh, big, comfy chair with a footstool, and you get relaxed. You just sit there in your little hoodie, and uh, I got my running shoes on. I'm about to go for a run. Okay, let's you not, sit. You, let's you not sit get back and away. have a chocolate bar again. <laughs> I'm just kidding. What a beautiful sight line of Erie, PA. Where else would you rather be than staring at our beautiful window, sun shining, staring over at the Golden Corral? It's uh, quite the spot we are in right now. I took a walk earlier. We're just off I-90, the road that we are on with the hotel. Very busy road. The closest thing I can think to describe it in Kitchener-Waterloo area is Homer Watson Boulevard, by the speed at least. It's a 45-mile-per-hour limit, uh, but it's wider. and Anyway, lots of traffic. And I took a walk earlier to go down to Starbucks and grab a coffee, check out the Erie Times News. I love looking at the local paper, read about the Otters losing in Mississauga last night. So they had to, that was the makeup game for the snowed out game earlier in the season. Tough sledding for the Otters right now as they battle for a playoff spot. And they've got seven games to play in the final 10 of the season, 10 days of the season, and to have to be on the road the night before they host the Kitchener Rangers. My goodness, it's tough right now for them, but not exactly. We're, we're out in a bit of a commercial area, high traffic, like I said, and you know, you make the most of it. You take your walks and you come back to the hotel. I was a little surprised you went to Starbucks. We get free Starbucks coffee here at the hotel. The best coffee in the league, as far as I'm concerned. Fantastic hotel coffee here. And you went to Starbucks and dropped eight dollars for a mocha chaka latte or whatever. I I, I drink uh, no room americanos for those of you keeping score at home. I don't even know what other thing you were just talking about. But it's funny you say that because I actually text I, I texted my better half because I got the americano and some banana bread and. It was six and a quarter. So I just tapped for it. And I said, oh, man, 
this is going to cost me 15 bucks now, right? Exchange rate, all this different stuff. But I just, so I texted to just let her know that, hey, listen, I'm breaking the household budget on the road trip this week. But I, listen, I, I had some coffee here. I needed more coffee. You didn't tell her about the bill at Applebee's last night, did you? What? Those ones are cheap. <laughs> I think I spent less at Applebee's is what happens when you come to Erie PA, right? Well, you know what does happen to Erie PA? Little story, and I got no problem admitting it. Apparently, six beers get you cut off. <laughs> I, um, I wasn't the one that got cut off. We were having some fun. We went over for dinner, 5.30. We had a couple beers with dinner. Some friends joined us after. And when I asked, and this is over the course of four and a half hours. Or more. Yeah, it's yeah. not in, in like two hours I had six beers. I had six beers over the course of four hours with dinner, a massive dinner, I should add. And the gentleman says, I'm sorry, we can't serve you anymore. We've already served you 120 ounces. How embarrassing. Holy, six beers, you're cut off. Don't come to Erie PA if you want to have some fun at Applebee's. <laughs> so, yeah, I got shut, I got cut off and kicked out of Applebee's. And I will vouch for you, by the way. Uh, you were the furthest thing from falling over drunk. We were sitting at the bar. Conversation was flowing. You were drinking Miller Lights. Let's add that to the equation. But whatever. They've got their policies. I even tried to step up for you and say, listen, we're just at the, the Marriott behind you here. We're not driving anywhere. We're with the bus driver. We're like, this guy drives, and that's not till tomorrow anyway. We tried. We tried. It's literally like a shoe kick away from the hotel. <laughs> I could like Even if I was stumbling, right. I still could have made it home. Yeah. In fact, I have had more than six over there on a road trip and made it home perfectly fine. So take that, Captain Jack, the bartender. All right, let's get down to business. One of the other advantages of being here in Erie, PA, getting set for the game is taking in some American sports talk. And I got to say, dear Ontario Hockey League, why don't you take a cue from the National Basketball Association? I get that it's pro versus amateur, but the Ontario Hockey League and the Canadian Hockey League conducts its affairs as very much a big business, a going concern, a professional organization. So you can take your cue from the NBA, and I'm completely ripping this off from the Colin Coward show that we were listening to earlier, but he made the point of pointing out how quickly not just the NBA, but the Utah Jazz reacted to that fan that was shouting all kinds of awful things at Russell Westbrook, fan banned for life, NBA comes out and issues its fine for Westbrook, but this all happens in, what, 24 to 36 hours? Meantime, we're sitting here recording this on a Wednesday, which is four days after Sault Ste. Marie Greyhounds forward Morgan Frost cross-checked Nick Grima in the face. Grima, of course, the defenseman for the Sarnia Sting, and all that the Ontario Hockey League website says is suspended indefinitely, so we don't know for how long the playoffs are coming Nobody knows the league hasn't. I don't think the league even issued a media release about it, and the league should. So, OHL, take your cue from the NBA. I like it. I just went to double check to make sure that uh, there was no suspension handed down and still indefinitely for that cross check to the face. And that happened on March 9th. Again, it's March 13th, and we still don't know what's going on. Can they not? Have they not seen it? Have they not seen the video? Do they not know the remaining games? There's three games left. Make your decision. Just own it. I don't know what we're waiting for. I've talked about this numerous times. Not even a tweet sent out. But, yeah, we got the CHL Player of the Week. And, oh, boy, do we ever know about the OHL Cup right now. 
We know lots about that, don't we? But we don't know anything about a suspension to the league's best player. So that's that's fine. You want to uh, you want to play the guessing game since we don't have the uh, the news yet. Indefinite suspension. Frost already sat a game, as you mentioned, three left in the regular season. So if he gets four games, that's the remainder of the regular season. If he gets five games or anything more than five games, it's going into the playoffs. That's why I say I'll start the bidding at five games because the games in the playoffs are, of course, seen as more punitive. And you're talking about the best player in the Ontario Hockey League. Should there be two sets of rules? Absolutely not. Do I feel that the end result of this will be something in the neighborhood of five games because then it bleeds over into the playoffs? And without Morgan Frost, the Sault Ste. Marie Greyhounds playoff chances are diminished. Yes. So that's why I'm going to put the number at five. You care to counter with another offer? Yeah, I was going to say six, and I was going to say six because the playoff games normally count as two, so then therefore it would be five games, the four regular season and then the one as a first-game playoff. But the more and more I think about it, it was a pretty vicious cross-check, like, and it's a cross-check to the face of another player. I would not be surprised if they gave him eight games, and I think that, that you can't cross-check another player in the face. Like It's one thing to get angry and cross-check him in the arm. You cross-checked a human being in the face. Morgan Frost is a great kid. We've had great conversations with him on this very podcast. Go back a couple episodes ago, he talks about how winning an OHL championship and how much he wants to do it causes him to lose sleep. He's a very well-spoken individual, um, but I, he made a dumb play. And I, th- I think it'll probably be six, but I wouldn't be surprised if they gave him eight. It's a cross-check to the face. You, they're trying to get rid of, obviously, all the head checks and stuff, and you cross-check to the face is worse than a head check, in my opinion. I think you make a great point, and the danger in this, if it goes a little bit, quote-unquote, lighter than eight, let's say, because the playoffs are coming and because it's Morgan Frost, but this is your precedent now. So the next person, and hey, Ontario Hockey League, we know you don't like to talk about the bad things, but there will be a next person. These are the things that happen in the game. The next person then says, well, this guy got... X games for the cross-check to the face. So that now is the bar for cross-checks to the face. I hope you're right. I hope it is more than five games. Not that I hope anything bad for Sault Ste. Marie, its playoff chances, or Morgan Frost, the human being, but I think a message has to be sent for a play like this. And as you said, in this game, certainly in this league, you can't go around cross-checking people in the face. It's very much against the rules. We got to see Morgan Frost, a lot of them, last year in a seven-game series in the Western Conference Final. Kitchener losing in double overtime up in the Sioux. Morgan Frost, a big part of that and having a fantastic season this year. Also, part of that series was Kitchener Rangers uh, assistant coach Dennis Weidman, who uh, we had a chance to sit down with as my phone goes off here. My apologies. Shout out Jason Aldi. Uh, <laughs> we had a chance to sit down with Dennis Weidman here in Erie, PA. Growing up in Elmira, you, uh, like me, so I had an older brother, and when I wanted to play sports with the older kids, it's like, okay, Mikey, you're the, you're the younger one, you're going in net. Uh, was that the kind of uh, sports upbringing you had with older brothers? Yeah, yeah, it was similar to that, but we, I mean, as far as net playing net goes we all we switched we all like to play it so but yeah definitely you're at a bit of an advantage when you have when you have older brothers and you get to play against older kids and you're always playing against guys that are better than you um i think it gives you an advantage for sure how are you finding the transition to the ohl as a coach, uh, as a coach um it's it's been good i think um you know we've got a good group of coaches too i think um, last year was kind of just getting my feet wet and doing some watching doing some learning and um, 
Um, so far, it's, it's been great. I, I haven't had uh, I've had a lot of fun. And, we, and it helps when you have uh, the group that we have this year. This big group of kids we have this year a lot of fun. I was telling Popper last year because it was his first year full time doing this gig with me, and I said to him, "It's not always like this. Game seven, double overtime, West final. Right? We've gone through some missed playoff years, but as that being your your first year, then comparing to this year, a little bit of a rebuild with the club. But what do you take away from it as a coach in terms of the experiences from last season to this? Yeah, I mean, I, w- I walked into. A good team, probably the best team that they've had here for a, f- a few years. Um, so that's always fun when you're winning. <laughs> um, but you know, this year's been a challenge in a different way. You're working with younger guys. Um, you know, plays kind of matter a little bit more because you don't have the explosive offense that we had last year. And um, you know, it's more of a teaching teaching part of it. So you almost feel a little bit more involved this year than than maybe last year, where you had older guys that have been around. I'm just kind of get just kind of learning. Uh, what I'm doing, so I feel like I feel like there's there's a lot more of that going on this year than last year. I remember a play we saw it and we talked to Jay about it after the game. It, it was Michael Vakoyevich basically six feet from the left of his net in his own zone, and he fired a, pa- a pass cross ice to center onto the opposite wing, and he got away with it. We asked Jay about it after the game. He says that that's why it's his problem. He's with the defense. When you see a play like that, obviously Vuks can pull it off once in a while, but does it make you cringe? Do you have a chat with him after that? Um, no, no, I think he uh, pulled that yeah. move <laughs> uh, I see it, I see it a little bit differently than Jay does. I see the game a little bit differently. Um, uh, no, I mean, if if, if, if they, they get caught trying to make a play or a good play and it's the right play, um, I don't get a problem with it. Sometimes they get picked off, sometimes they don't work. I want them to make plays, but you know, maybe if it's a a tie game or it's late in the period or, or the circumstance that they made that play maybe was a bad decision I would talk to them more about the decision and the timing of, of forcing that play whereas when you should do it and kind of when you shouldn't do it um, you know and it's a, you're up by a goal in the last 5-10 minutes of a game maybe you don't maybe you don't try to make that play maybe you just make sure you get it out and have the more safe play it's a tie game or we're up by or we're down by one or something hey you gotta go or early in the period or whatever so I think it's more about the situation. I don't want to take. I don't want to try to take any of their, what they see away because um, making that play and making that right decision is, is what they, what's expected at the next level. So if you're telling them they can't do it here, how are they going to do it at the next level? You got a couple guys on this team on the back end that really like to jump up in the play. We see Vukovic doing it a little more, and then you got whatever Donovan Sabrango is because <laughs> I think we're just cracking the surface of a young player like that do you look at a young player like that that has that type of skating and that type of offensive mindset and, and just think I'm gonna have a lot of fun with a player like this yeah he's he's definitely he's a player to be excited about I think he's uh he's got everything he's got all the tools he's a smart kid like extremely smart kid his hockey IQ is is high um you know he's the type of guy that you don't really have to explain anything to because when he makes a mistake he comes back and I don't gotta say anything he's mad <laughs> You know, he knows that he that he made that mistake. So again, you're just trying to rein him in and trying to direct him in the right, the right way. But yeah, I think he's I think he's going to be a great player. He's got he's got all the tools. Um, just you know, a few tweaks here and there that, that should come with age. But I, I don't. I mean, I've been around the OHL long, so I'm not really sure how many 16 year olds have the kind of impact that he's having, especially on defense. I'm I'm assuming it's probably not many, um, but he's he's been real good, real smart player. You haven't been around the OHL long as a coach, but you had a 12-year pro career. And, of course, you went through this league. 
Can you take us through a bit of that journey and, and what it was like for you progressing through the Ontario Hockey League and ultimately getting drafted into the show? <laughs> the Ontario Hockey League, that's a long time ago. Uh, <laughs> it's funny It's funny how the memory goes. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I started, I played in Sudbury for a year, a year and a bit, a year and maybe 20 games or something like that. And then I went to London. And I got traded there for a couple of older guys, Chris Kelly, or uh, yeah, Chris Kelly and Dan Janseski, two guys that played um, for a little bit. Dan Janseski was in the Dallas system for a while, and Chris Kelly, everybody knows him. So, um, and there might have been a pick coming with me too. Sure, I'm not sure exactly how it all worked out, but um, yeah. And then I went there, and London was kind of the Hunters had just taken it over. They'd only had it for maybe a year or so. We're in the old ice house. Um, it was. Uh, you know, it wasn't the organization that it is now. Yeah. They had those awful jerseys, <laughs> those eggplants or whatever, yeah. like, yeah. Ugh, just terrible. The rink was not so good, wooden benches, and, you know, they were probably getting a couple thousand fans a night, you know, maybe, um, except for playoffs, and it filled up, but it wasn't a great place to watch a hockey game. And then they built the new thing, and obviously everybody knows what, what they're at now and what they've done with that organization. But, uh, yeah, went there, and then... I didn't get drafted my draft year to the NHL. I got drafted the next year by Buffalo. Um, never played a game with them. Because I, I was drafted the year after, so if they didn't sign me, then I was a free agent. So I signed, ended up signing with St. Louis while I was at Calgary's uh, summer camp. I was, at, I was at their camp, and then I was only there for like a day. And I signed with, agreed to a contract with St. Louis, so I left there, went home, and then I played a year and a half at St. Louis, and then went on to Boston. And then to Florida, Florida, and then to Washington, and then to Calgary. So it's kind of around, but it was yeah, it was obviously it was great, great experience. I loved, I loved all the the cities that I played in differently. Um, I think my favorites were probably Washington and uh, Boston, best cities I think that I played in. You had a lot of success in both those cities. Florida is a nice spot. Calgary is a nice spot. At the end of your career. What made you come home? What made Waterloo Region the place you wanted to settle down? Yeah, there was never, there was never a thought of going anywhere else for me. Um, you know, I grew up here. I've come back here every year. Um, I have a, a group of friends that I've known since I was three, four. Uh, my one friend was born four days before me. They're in the ho- our parents were in the hospital together, and they were friends before we were born too. So, I've got a big group of friends from uh, from home, and my wife does too. She's from Owen Sound, and she still has a big group of friends up in Owen Sound too. So, it, there was never any consideration of of going anywhere else. We were coming back here. I bought my cottage um, up north there. I bought that. Uh, it's got to be ten or eleven years ago now. So I was just doing that, and we're living there. there was, I was coming back here for sure. <laughs> I want to explore a little bit further the the experience in London, especially with uh, Mark and Dale Hunter, who you've said before had a tremendous impact on your hockey career. And look, they're the they're the premier team in the Ontario Hockey League. They're a rival, obviously, a huge rival of the team you're coaching now. But you can't argue with the success. And everybody loves to hate on them. But you obviously got a lot out of being around those guys. What kinds of things, what kind of wisdom, what kind of influence do they have on your career? Um, yeah, I, I mean... You can't measure it, really. I think um, when Dale came in as coach, before him we had Lindsey Hofford, who was also a good coach, and he's he was a good coach, but way better at like um, picking out players and, and 
and scouting. Um, he's taken off in his career that way and done a lot for Toronto and all that, to, uh, that as well. But when Dale came in and took over, the thing that, I, that kind of blew me away, as soon as he came in, he wasn't long out of the NHL, I don't think, maybe a year or two that he'd been retired that he started coaching. Um, it was just a different feel right away. He treated us like we we're in the NHL right away. And I think especially back then how coaches how coaches were back then in junior, they knew they had your whole career in their hand and they, they used that. And he came in and it was just blew me away like what it was actually like and how, how he treated us like adults and gave us some room. Never really weren't, wasn't screaming at us and all that stuff. So um, that was the biggest thing that I noticed. Um, and then obviously Mark too was always around. He was the GM. I was always up talking with them and just... I think just, just learning how to be a pro so that when I went there, I felt a lot more comfortable in the situation, I think, was it had a lot to do with it. And then I'm sure they taught me quite a few things along the way, too, but I had a lot of coaches since then. A couple concussions, and I don't know, I'm not sure. You had him again in Washington, actually. Yep. Did, did his coaching wow. style change at all from when you were in London and then seeing him in Washington again? No, it was exactly the same. <laughs> Uh, it was exactly the same. That's right. I had him for, I think he came in in December, maybe, after they fired they fired Boudreaux. Um, and then he came in in December and just did that that one year. Um, you know, I think, he did a, I think he did a good job. We were a team that was kind of in between. And uh, at that time with Washington, that's when we've, they've had, a, they had good teams year after year after year, but then just came up short in the playoffs. Um, and they were kind of in that transition. You know, there's a lot of people saying, "Oh, we should be. They should be breaking up their core. They got to start over again. These guys can't win." Blah blah blah. And so he kind of came in in between there, and um, he's definitely quite a bit different than Boudreaux and his his way he saw the game and way he coached it. They're ob- they obviously play even in London. They play pretty defensive for the most part through the neutral zone and and the way they they trap and they're opportunistic that way. Um, and Washington was completely different. <laughs> they were just running gun at that time, right? So he was trying to bring that that style in. And uh, I mean, at that time, to get Ovi to play that way was a tough sell. <laughs> <laughs> you you mentioned Ovi. Obviously, he had quite the summer after winning the Stanley Cup. Do you have an Ovi story? Because you you caught him when he was younger, right? Now he's a little bit older. Uh, 33. Do you have any a good Obi story from when you were like, "What is this guy all about"? Um, not, not really. Like I, I we did, we didn't really hang around with Obi much. Obi's the Russian. The Russians are a bit, they're a bit different. Like he, had, Obi had his his brother was there. I think he might have his dad and uncle. He had like a whole crew of, of his friends and family living with him that he had brought in over, and, and so he he was kind of away from the rink. He kind of kept to himself, and he did that. But when he came to the rink, he was, you know, came to work and did his job. You talked at the end of your career about the game changing to the point that it was getting faster, more skilled, which is hard for me just looking at numbers for you to be a guy that wouldn't fit into that style of play because you were an offensive defenseman. You were, you know, point-to-game guy for stretches of your career. When you, when you knew it was over, uh, did, how tough was that to say, geez, this, like, I'm, a, I'm an old guy in the game. You're still early 30s and... It's it's games passing you like that. Is it is it because Johnny Goudreau was there? <laughs> no, <laughs> no. I think um, I had, it wasn't that hard. I mean, I feel like I've known for a long time where it was going. I knew 
I knew 10 years ago, five years ago, that where the game was going and my style, or the how I, how I actually my skating ability, it wasn't I wasn't going to get any faster, um, and I was getting by, I was getting by for the most part on being able to think the game better than who I was playing against sometimes, and that was kind of how I how I could get by with anticipating a play or getting there first or and whatever. But if I ever got in a situation where I made the wrong read. I wasn't catching anybody. <laughs> so well, I was in trouble. So, it, you know, and then as I got older, it got to the point where it was, it didn't matter. It was, it was where they were going. There was a lot bigger emphasis on, on gaps. And, you know, when the analytics came in and um, shot suppression and all that stuff. And, um, you know, no longer was it okay just to keep a guy to the outside and let them shots go. And now they want, they want you to shut it down on the red line or at the blue line. And for that, you have to be, especially with how fast the forwards are, you have to be a pretty elite skater at, in today's game. So, I mean, I, I kind of felt like it was probably coming. <laughs> you know, and I had, I had lots of time to prepare for it. You mentioned the uh, thinking the game at that next level. Now as a coach, is, do you find it difficult to... Because you, you can't really coach thinking the game like that. So do you find it difficult to try to show the players what you're thinking and try to allow them or put them in a position where they're on the ice thinking, oh, I see what Wides is talking about now? Yeah, I mean, I think you have to find a way to, to communicate with each kid. I think some of them are probably more visual and they would, they're better with uh, video and showing you know, this clip and then this clip and kind of comparing the two. Um, other kids you can just talk to and they, and they they just get it so it's finding what works best for each for each kid I think yes uh, I have to sometimes I'm trying to f- figure out like I don't want to go too far where I'm like you know it's so easy on video thanks coach like, oh, yeah, you're smart but you know I feel like I, I feel like I, I saw the plays or I see those things happening and, and trying to explain to them to try to make those reads and um you know when you're when you're defending and there's a breakdown and you're defending two on one or an odd man rush, how to defend it properly given the circumstance and trying to get them to make those reads. When they, if they see a guy he's on his backhand, well now you maybe play off quite a bit more to take the pass away because you're not really as afraid about a backhand shot as you are forehand, and just how to play those situations and stuff like that. So that's you know that's something that I'm working on trying to explain to to the kids as well. Did you always know it was going to be coaching next or staying in the game somehow as opposed to going back to the family farm in Woolwich? No, I think, no, I, you know, my last, yeah, probably the whole time I was in Calgary, I I thought about maybe I would want to coach or maybe I might want to coach and I st- started to kind of pay a little bit more attention to, to what they were doing and how they kind of went about things, maybe some decisions and stuff they were making about, you know, when when he came in and yelled at us and other times when they came in a little softer I started paying attention to that stuff a lot more because I was consciously thinking about it. maybe at some point I would um, I never thought it would be this quick I had I had lots of plans I was going to get a snowmobile I was going to go to the cottage every winter all these first first couple of years we were going to go traveling and do all this stuff and then no I jumped right back into it now I have the, now I have the same schedule as I did when I played and I still can't go to the cottage in the winter <laughs> Jay McKee will do that to you though. When yeah. he calls, you answer, right? Yeah, yeah. No, it, yeah. It just kind of happened. I was still, I was actually still skating um, with the team when Jay had asked me if it'd be something I was, I was interested in. I was like, yeah, sure. I mean, it worked out. I mean, I don't, I don't think there's not probably not too many jobs that come up if, for Kitchener and, um, you know, with 
me wanting to be in Kitchener-Waterloo and and raise our kids there and have them go to school there and everything. We had bought a house um, in Waterloo uh, five years ago. I mean, it was pretty limited to where I could have coached. It would have been here, Guelph. London's even a bit far with how much travel it would be. I mean, it's you could do it. I could do it for sure. But, uh, you know, that's kind of... And then this one came up, so I, I got pretty lucky. I just want to go back a little bit, because you talked about in the past about uh, thinking the game. You talked. You mentioned analytics, shot suppression, um, understanding when a forward has got the puck on their back end. It, it's not like, for people who don't know Dennis Wyman, it's not like you're one of the hockey players that, you know, get puck, shoot puck, go skate hard. You're, not, you're an intellectual guy. You think about that kind of stuff. We see you reading all the time. Have you always been that kind of thinker, even growing up? Um, I think so. I think I questioned a lot. I had a lot of questions. Um, I, co- I kind of questioned everything. Um, I think that I think that it probably annoyed some of the coaches that, I, that I've had in the past. How about referees? Questions, uh, questions and answers I had lots of, but um, I'm sure that was pretty frustrating. But uh, yeah, I, I think I think I've always been just kind of saw the game the way I saw the game. Um, yeah, and then you're trying to pass that on a little bit to the to the younger kids, but um, it's it's a battle of I know how the how the game's being taught at the next level and how they want the kids how they want them to play. So I'm I'm trying to figure out at this level what they can actually do and that we can still win games here, but at the same time getting them ready for how the game's played at the next level. So you're kind of trying to find that balance. I mean, there's I mean at the next level everybody's good, so you can force your D to play aggressive at the blue line and play up and guard that line whereas you know at this level you have some guys that probably can handle it and some guys that can't but you can't have a system that okay you you three or four or five do this and then then you do this so it's it's finding that balance of of what they can handle and what they can't all right uh we gotta let you get some lunch and there's a game to get to too but i want to ask one more completely out of left field but when you start talking about analytics and stuff uh and i think back when when we look at your career numbers you had some seasons where your plus minus was off the charts, like plus 50, plus 60. And I've heard in this day and age with analytics and everything else that plus minus is a terrible stat. As a defenseman, how do you feel about it? It's a terrible stat. I've always, <laughs> always said it's a terrible stat. But those, those seasons that you're talking about, that was only one or two. That were that one. I had some that were off the chart the other way too. I so, must have missed those. Yeah, thanks for that. <laughs> but... Uh, no, I think it's. I mean, they have more direct. I mean, when when we watch video, when I watch video now, I I'm watching the the guys' games, and I have uh, a little running total that I keep of of the D men at least that of every chance that I think they could have done something about that they were directly involved in. So sometimes they get a scoring chance, and it's just the one guy that gets one. Sometimes it's both of them. Um, so I think I think that it's more that way. I mean, you know, if, if forwards are getting minuses that. You know, a defenseman got beat one on one, and the guy went in and scored. And a forward gets a minus. It's just a, it's a dumb stat. D get pluses when a forwards are cycling. They don't even touch the puck. They're just standing on the blue line, and then they score a goal. And you, you somehow you get a plus for that. If you're not involved in the play, you're not involved in the play. So that's why that stat's kind of out the window. And then there's other parts of it too, where um, <clears throat> maybe you get a, a five six defenseman or a third or fourth line. Um, you know, maybe the guy's minus 15 or minus 20, and you're like, oh, my gosh, that guy's that's bad. But they get limited minutes, and they, maybe they got caught out against the top line or something on the road, and they don't score a whole lot of goals. So maybe they've only been actually out for, like, 22 goals against the whole year. 
if you look at it that way, it's not that bad. Mm-hmm. You know, and there's uh, the top line guys maybe been out for 100, but they've been on for 100 too. So it's it you know it can go that way too, where you're just you're in a position that you're not you're not getting a whole lot of offensive zone starts, or you're just you're just not scoring goals. So every goal against makes it makes it look bad when it's actually not that bad. Yeah. Appreciate this. Thanks very much. Yeah, no problem, guys. Thanks for having me. So much like I told you last year, Popper, when it was your first full-time trip through the circuit, it's not always like that. You don't get to go to the Western Conference Final Game 7 double overtime every year. And Dennis Weidman, of course, had the f- same first-year experience. Well, and he went, like, obviously the team went deep into the playoffs, but Dennis Weidman and Jay McKee, both in their playing and coaching careers, have never missed the playoffs in the Ontario Hockey League, both during their careers as a player and as a coach. Obviously, Jay's been behind the bench a little longer than Dennis, but I I could sit there and pick Dennis's brain for hours. Like, he's such an intellect, and I mentioned we see him reading. He's always reading, always got a new book on the bus. He obviously thinks the game extremely well, and... I think it takes a, a smart person, and as he said, he's, I was always questioning things. It takes a smart person to have that self-reflection five years into your career that in another five, my career is going to be over. This game is passing me by, and I need to learn how to adapt in order to stay viable as a viable option on the back end even while I'm here. And he did that. He you know, he could say whatever about how his career ended and what happened the year before he eventually left the game. But he was... He was a power play specialist. He was a good defenseman for Calgary. Had some great years in Boston. Um, obviously did really well in Washington as well. Um, he, just a great... And obviously in the O, he was fantastic on some of those... He played with, like on the London teams with Corey Perry and the Hunter brothers and Rick Nash. And then he goes to the show where he's playing with Doug Waite. And I, could, I wanted to ask him about Chara. I what, did too. Right? And then we hear about Ovi and, and Semin was there in Washington. He goes to Calgary with Iggy. And it's just, he's played with some, some of the league's best. And it was great to sit down and have a chat with him because he's a smart dude. Maybe there will be another opportunity at some point because I agree, could have listened to him for a lot longer than we did. Uh, and great point on the self-awareness. It dawned on me too. And I always go back to, and I should have this memorized by now, but there's a quote in the movie Bull Durham at the very beginning when Annie Savoy is getting set to go out to the ballpark. And she says something along the lines of, the world is made for those who are not blessed with self-awareness. In other words, you know, you just, if you're just floating through life and you don't care, nothing phases you. But self-awareness is a really important thing, and, and Dennis Weidman has it in spades. And I, I feel some guilt because usually when we make an ask on this podcast... It's for, you know, 10 to 15 minutes of somebody's time. And that was the ask of Dennis earlier before we got to sit down with him. And then, of course, the 15 minutes turns into 20. And we were holding him up from lunch. And there's a game tonight and all of these different things. I have this tremendous guilt. But I think we get to, you know, have an opportunity to learn a fair bit about somebody in that length of conversation. I'm reminded of when we had James Boyd in studio with us on his triangulation from Brantford to Kitchener for our studio time back to his home in Mississauga when, you know, he might have had better things to do than spend 45 minutes with us. But once you get going, I know we love the conversations and I hope you as the listener get something out of uh, what you hear. Despite the fact it could have gone on so much longer, we wanted to let the man get back to his life and his pregame ritual. I love how he's so involved in the game and so into it. You can talk about, you know, shot suppression, the puck on a player's backhand as opposed to the forehand, you know, closing the gap and all that kind of stuff. Um, but he, he grew up in Elmira where they didn't even have a cable. They had three stations. 
and then he would be outside playing road hockey all the time and then to be that invested in the game and that knowledgeable about every little aspect it really shows that he is that intellectual guy going back to bull durham quick the world is made for people who aren't cursed with self-awareness there you go and one of the per, another, obviously Dennis was, you know, self-aware that he had a pretty good chance of playing pro, and he did, and he had over 800 games in the National Hockey League. Some players in this league, though, that obviously doesn't happen, and you have to be self-aware of that. One of those players was Mason Kahn. He was self-aware enough that, you know, I'm probably not going to crack the NHL. So what else do I do? He, he decided he was going to play youth sports after a, a time in Kitchener and then Saginaw. And Mason Kahn is now a Queen's Cup champion, winning with the Queen's Golden Gales. And we had a chance to talk with Mason. Obviously winning a Queen's Cup with Queen's. Uh, what was that experience like? Oh, it was just amazing. Like, all the guys, uh, we really enjoyed it. We took it in. We got to play in front of the Queen. We have a big chaining in, the, in our rink the queen and we got to bring home the cup which was amazing we had a uh, guys like spencer abraham in his last uh, home game five-year career shl guys played a dog it just amazing to play and win for those guys hank thompson it was, it was unbelievable you mentioned you mentioned spencer what's a guy like that mean to your hockey club oh he's just an excellent human being and a player he's he's just like a the perfect role model he's going to be a lawyer next year and he, he does all the right things he's just such a great guy to be around Mace, what was it about uh, Queens that drew your attention? I think it was just uh, the education is just uh, it's paramount here. One of the best in Ontario, and uh, it's just uh, that was probably the biggest thing for me. And the hockey program was pretty, pretty good too. That was cool. What are you taking in school? I'm doing um, an economics major, and then switching to health, and then hopefully uh, try going to law school after. So, not really sure yet. Just first year, so. Nice. So, Ontario champions heading to Lethbridge uh, via Calgary. Did you guys have this as a goal at the start of the season? Did you guys expect to to contend for a Queen's Cup? We expected to to win this year, but we we weren't really sure. I wasn't really sure how good we were going to be this year. I I just knew come in, make an impact, and uh, see what happens. Yeah, it's pretty pretty surreal feeling. What was the feeling like when you got that Queen's Cup for the first time? I hadn't won anything in, uh, in since minor hockey days. It was just amazing to throw the gloves off, celebrate with the guys, and, and raise the cup. It was just amazing. Man. I can't even describe it. I know uh, you have a really tight family. What were the, what was their reaction? Oh, they, they fired me some text after the game. And all, it's funny, my dad was playing in over 60 men's league tournament he texted me <laughs> before the game right before i went on the ice he, he was the champion too yesterday oh so come like, on like father like son i said <laughs> or is it yeah exactly is it son like or father son like, yeah son like father yeah i <laughs> that one up <laughs> that's great mace congratulations on the championship and uh your ohl career here in kitchener um what do you remember from your time as a ranger I just remember how, how professionally ran the organization was. It was it was amazing playing there, and I still have all my a bunch of my close friends. And it was just a, a stepping stone. And I'm thankful for the, the Rangers to uh, push me in the direction of schooling. And, uh, and I'm very thankful. It was just an amazing organization, and I couldn't be more thankful to have played there with all the fans and the teammates.
out to my adult family and everything. It was amazing. That's another kid as he came through the Ontario Hockey League. And there are stories upon stories of kids just like that. Not just with the Kitchener Rangers where Mason Kahn played. And then, of course, off to Oshawa and Saginaw to finish off his junior career. But you just when you get to know some of these young men, it, it's pretty great. And in Mason's case, especially because we were with him in Kitchener for a number of years, his family. I mean, I still got a Christmas card from the Con family this past year. I'm the play-by-play radio guy for the team, and his mom, Joy, still makes a point of sending Christmas cards. It's really neat, and I'm happy to see him succeeding. And Queen's University, at a boy. I mean, that he's no slouch if you're getting into Queen's. Eric Ming up there, too, a former Kitchener Ranger. I know there are others. Mason talked about some of them that were uh, some of the former OHL guys that are on that team uh, in Kingston with them at Queen. So good on them, and, of course, best of luck in the national championship. Yeah, Mason talking about maybe going to law school after. I did not expect to hear that. Um, and congrats to him. They're heading out west to uh, Calgary, or Lethbridge, flying into Calgary, uh, they, uh, they've adopted the hashtag of the New England Patriots, still here. They, everyone counted them out all season long, and they've clawed their way to a, a Queen's Cup and Ontario Championship, and now they're going for a national one. Stick tap to hit Mason, and a, as you can tell, and you said the same thing, Christmas cards from the family all the time. When he got traded, I got a card saying thanks for everything you did for Mason and how you treated him, and top-notch family, the cons. And uh, if I'm down in Florida, I'm going to give him a call. All right, you're going for the uh, the jog. I use that in air quotes because there's not a chance in hell that you're running anywhere, but enjoy your little walk. I'm going to get into the pregame mode over here, which means probably take a little nap and get set for that nice media room spread we get at the Erie Insurance Arena. Shout out Aaron Cooney, who keeps things running over there for us from a... Uh, broadcast and media perspective and then we've got rangers otters tonight next week of course as we look ahead on the farwell and pope podcast you can still put your sponsorship right here just tweet us at farwell underscore ohl and at underscore chris pope and fill that sponsorship opportunity but we will of course then be doing a deep dive into the playoffs because they will be set i mean a lot of them are right now but we'll wait until it's official and talk about who will win where and in how many games, because everybody loves a good prediction. So we'll get ready for that. In the meantime, I'm going to take a nap. I'm Farwell. And I'm Pope. And that is the Farwell and Pope podcast. This has been the Farwell and Pope podcast, posted weekly. If you have questions, topics, or a story you would like to be covered, simply email mike at 570news.com. The Farwell and Pope podcast originates from the 570 News studio in Kitchener. Hi, I'm Logan Anderson, host of the Say the Damn Score podcast. On my show, I deep dive into the sports broadcasting business by, you guessed it, talking to sportscasters. The show has featured big names like Bob Costas, Kenny Albert, and Vern Lundquist, as well as many up-and-coming broadcasters who you may not know yet, but you will know soon. Whether you're looking for professional development as a sportscaster, different career paths, or if you just want to be entertained by hearing some of the best storytellers in the world tell their own stories, this podcast is for you. You can subscribe to the podcast on all major podcast platforms, or you can visit our website, saythedamnscore.com. Another Sound Off Media Company podcast.